Welcome to our service, and it's so exciting for us to get reconnected with some of our friends being back in Colorado, and then to have some of you come back again this Sunday morning to fellowship with us and worship together at Valley Community Church. And I think every week that I come back, I'm thanking the Lord more for the privilege of being here and just all that God seems to be accomplishing. Our study on Sunday mornings has been in the book of Philippians. So if you'd like to turn in your Bible or on your iPhone or however you're looking there, if you'd like to look at the screen, you can do that as well, whatever's comfortable for you. Our theme in this study of Philippians is called Joy in the Valley. And two of the things I love about Colorado are mountains and valleys. And that really describes a bit of our lives. You walk out, I'm not sure where your house is situated, but there's probably a place where you can look up and see those mountain peaks. And I always tell people, you know, you can look and see Long's Peak all the way down on a clear day and see Pike's Peak and then all that is in between. And we see mountains, and we also see valleys. And it's like life. We, We don't always live on the mountaintops. In fact, only for brief moments. If I, if I look at my life and I think of mountaintop experiences and living in the valley, it's much more common to be living in the valley. So that's why we've described this, the joy in the valley. <clears throat> if you were to look and examine your life, however long or short your life is, there's probably some memorable times of mountaintop experiences, great things that have happened, joyous occasions. And your life has also been marked by times of deep pain. And I think, to be realistic, it's more often that we live in those times of difficulty. So I'm going to ask you this morning to think about what is or what has been the most painful experience you've been through. You may be thinking, why are, you, why are you doing that to us this morning? There's a reason why I'm doing this. What is the most painful experience that you've gone through? Most likely, it had to do with people. Now, when we look at uh, this chapter in Philippians, chapter 1, the Apostle Paul is writing to believers from prison, and he is writing with an incredible theme. The theme is joy. And we find it capsulated in chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Now, the problem is that is impossible to do when you're going through the deepest valleys of life, humanly speaking. So how is it that the Apostle Paul works through this? And the New Testament is written... It was written in paragraphs, and we have a paragraph from verse 12 through verse 26. And this is Paul describing some of the obstacles to joy. Because getting to this point to rejoice in every situation, every circumstance of life, was not an easy thing for Paul. He tells us in chapter 4 that he learned to do this. And so this morning, what we're going to, we're walking through how are we learning to have joy even in difficult times. From verse 12 to 26, 
He gives us three occasions for discouragement. The first occasion is circumstances, verses 12 to 14. He talks about the chains. He's in Rome. He's chained to a guard. And he is there for two years. He's been prisoned before that for two years in Caesarea. So his present circumstances would tend to rob him of his joy. The second occasion for discouragement would be people. That's what we're going to look at this morning from verses 15 to 18. And then verses 19 to 26, he talks about the looming death that he may face. Because and this, this is actually what happens to the Apostle Paul. He is beheaded for his faith in Christ. So how can we today rejoice, be full of joy, always? How does Paul work through this? And this morning what I'd like us to focus on is this middle part with people. When you, you have very difficult circumstances with people. And we used a picture last week for advancing the gospels, the same words, a nautical term of sailing. And how it's not with the wind at your back, it's with the wind in your face. Now, can you move forward sailing with the wind in your face? What's the answer to that? Yes, you can, but you're tacking back and forth and back and forth, and you're navigating through these things. So the life in Christianity is a supernatural calling. For us to be able to have that type of life really gives us at Valley Community Church and any body of believers a uniqueness in their community. People will look and say, well, how can that person be so full of joy when their circumstances are so horrible and they have so much opposition, and they're facing death. It is what God does uniquely in the life of the Christian. And that's what we're going to walk through here this morning. So the text is a great text. To me, uh, from verse 15 to 18, I'd like to read this, and then I'm going to contrast some things in Paul's learning process. He says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble, or really, literally saying, supposing they can gall me while I am in chains. But here's his response. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will continue to rejoice. How do you rejoice with impossible people? And I'd like to look this morning at five contrasts. We're going to work through the contrast that really describe Paul's learning process. And The first one is the contrast with Christianity. The responses first were most brothers and sisters. What was happening when he was in chains and he was full of joy and he was growing and the gospel is being advanced, he said the effect upon most of the believers was this gave them encouragement. This gave them courage. So when I'm following the Lord and I'm growing and I'm able to respond by faith, What's going to happen is that for many believers, this, this gives them a, a, a new courage in their Christian walk. 
that's the course. And I, and I feel like that at this church, that being here watching the testimonies and the lives of others, that this gives us heart in the Christian walk. But then he goes on to speak about some others. And he says, It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. He's going to talk about there, there are Christians who are motivated by selfish ambition. You say, no. Christians? It reminds me of what my father-in-law had a little poem. He says, To dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory. But to live below with those we know, that's another story. <clears throat> or maybe like Charlie Brown who said, I love humanity, it's just the people I can't stand. But you know what? They are in every church, every place of business, every neighborhood, every family, that people who have the power to destroy your life. The word selfish ambition is actually a political word. word, And it means that you are doing Christianity or doing ministry for personal profit and selfish ambition. You think, is that possible for someone to be serving God and doing it for themselves? Oh, absolutely. And this is the contrast that we're going to see. Contrast in Christianity. You have people who are authentic, real, vibrant, true Christians. And you have people also within the body of Christ, within the church, who are living what we would call Christless lives. How can that be? Well, what takes place when you accept Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? Paul describes it to the Corinthian church as you become a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so now you have a new nature. I'm a new person. But you still live in this flesh. And you know what I'm talking about. Because this flesh craves all the things that stand against God. You also live in a world. And the world stands in opposition to God. And you have an enemy who is called Satan. So while my heart is changed and I'm a Christian and I love God with all of my heart, I still live in this stinking, rotten flesh. And there is always this pull to be selfish, isn't there? It's in your own heart. It's in your own life. So you know what I'm talking about. So within the church, you're going to have some of the most encouraging people you've ever met. But you will also find some of the most destructive people you've ever met. Have you ever heard someone say to you, you know, I won't do business with Christians? Why is that? I won't even go to that company because they're Christians. Well, it's, <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of baggage that goes along with that. So he says here, these are motiv motivated by selfish ambition, exploiting Paul's prison experience. And here's, here's, I think, what's happening. Paul is following the Lord. He's doing the right thing. And so typically we think, hey, you do the right thing, you get blessed. Right? You know, just do the right thing. God's going to bless you. But look what's happened to Paul. Paul's doing the right thing. Where does he end up? What's, what's with that? What's with God? So you're going to have some people who say, Paul, thank you for your courage. 
Thank you for sticking with it. Thank you for all that you've done to encourage and help me by standing firm. And so much of the church has been encouraged by this. But there's another part of the church that says, you know what, if Paul would get his act together, he wouldn't be in prison. And I'm out preaching. I'm preaching like Paul's preaching, and I'm prospering. I'm not in prison. You know what? And we just had, we had 5,000 in our service last week. And you know what? People are coming by the throngs, and, uh, and I'm doing well. And you know what? I just got a raise, and our church is building a new building. And, uh, you know, God's just blessing all that we're doing. Uh, you know, Paul, you know, he just provokes people. Now, you think, is that really happening? That is really happening. And I tell you, that type of thing can put you into a spiritual spiral more quickly than anything else. More than the chains, more than the circumstances, people can destroy your life. And they're not unsaved people. They're Christian people. That's what's most difficult. You know, David said that too. He said, he said if it was my enemy, I'd understand. But these are my friends. These are my friends. So Paul is going through this very, very painful experience. What does it look like? False motives. The cloak, they have this cloak of preaching in the name of Christ. And what they're doing is they're just pouring and heaping upon Paul all of this pain. What does it look like? I'd say criticism. And, and, and I want you to picture this, not with unsaved people, but Christian friends that you've had. They've criticized you. They've misrepresented you. They've slandered you. They've abused you. They've betrayed you. They've abandoned you. They've been two-faced, hypocritical. It is the most difficult thing, I think, that we go through on this earth is with people. From a personal experience in... 2008, God had led us away to a new ministry in 2002. And like everything that God has called me to to do since I surrendered my life to Christ, I have not felt equal to the task. Have you ever been that way? You think, you know, this is, I'm in over my head. So I find myself leading a, a Christian institution of higher learning. And in 2008, I began in January of 2008, I began praying, God, help me to see it like you see it. Because I don't want some man's dream fulfilled. I want to see things like you see them. Give me wisdom to navigate from where we are to where we need to be. Give me boldness and courage to make the right decisions. Give provision that we need. And may you, your name be praised. I started praying and... I haven't always done this, but I started praying for big chunks of time every day. And I'd pray and pray and pray. And I'd take long walks through the Wisconsin woods, and I'd walk and I'd pray and I'd walk and I'd pray and I'd seek the Lord and I'd be in the Word. And then this led over a period of months to fasting and prayer and more prayer and more pleading with God to do His will. And God began to give me clarity about how to move forward. And when I started moving forward over the next three years, it became like walking through fire. You think, what, what is that? Now, 
you, I know you've got to be thinking like me. You know what? If you, if you love God and you do His will and you say, God, I am so sold out. I'm so abandoned to you. Lord, I will do you. will show me what to do. I will do it. And then you think, here we go. And you're just going to walk into blessing and prosperity. And I walked into conflict and attacks and slander. And, and it goes on and on and on. And if you're not careful, not do you just get angry at people that are doing that to you. Where do you get angry? You get angry with God. Because it's not supposed to work that way. When you live for Him and do the right thing, He's just supposed to bless you. You get a raise, you get a new house, you drive a nice car. I mean, somehow we just think that way. But here's what the Lord began doing in my life through this process because as, I, as, as we're walking through this as a family, I realized this, that going through the fire is exactly where God wanted me to be. And here's what He was doing. He was changing my life. And, and to be honest with you, I can't think of any time where God was radically changing my life through blessings. God has radically changed my life through tests. He starts exposing things that He wants to change. And you start, it's not even about, you know, charting the right course, doing the right thing. God is conforming my life to Christ's likeness because He loves me. He's also advancing His purposes. And it's sometimes hard because you say, well, I'm doing God's will, I'm obeying God, and, and I'm following Him, and... and and it doesn't seem to be going well, but God is advancing His purposes. And He's encouraging others. God is a sovereign God. So, I would say to you that do not be surprised that when you follow the Lord and you obey His will and you do the right thing, don't be surprised when difficulties come. Because... Everything in this culture and everything in this world is heading the other way. It's like going into that wind. Everything in the world is against God. Everything God is calling you to be and to do flies in the face of that. And this is what was happening to Paul. In reality of Christianity, it was not the Roman soldiers. It was not... The pagan people, these were other preachers and teachers and fellow Christians who were inflicting pain, hoping to gall him as he was in prison. He said this to his disciple, Timothy. He said, at my first defense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. Paul had the pain of John Mark leaving, Demas forsaking him, Alexander the coppersmith doing him much harm. Paul, if you read through his epistles, there was a great deal of pain inflicted upon him by other Christians. We've seen that through history. You'll look at someone who, like Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is probably one of the most well-known religious figures in American history. He preached the most famous sermon ever preached, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. He was leading through the Great Awakening. And do you know what? His people kicked him out of his church. 
He was trying to insist that as they gather around the Lord's table, they be believers first. You think, think of that. And they voted him out of his church. Charles Spurgeon, who's regarded as probably of the last several hundred years, the foremost Bible preacher, by hundreds of votes, was voted out of the Baptist Union or the Fellowship of Believers. And he died a young man, I think crushed by what people were doing to him. And so it was for Christ. I want you to think through this. Paul's example of joy was not because he had great circumstances and it wasn't because everybody said, oh, we just love Paul. There were, Paul endured vicious attacks, but no one endured what Christ endured. And this is to me the point, the, the, the point that we come to understand is that when, when Jesus came into this world to accomplish the greatest work ever accomplished, there was all kinds of opposition. And the greatest opposition that Christ had was religious opposition. He came unto His own. He came unto His own. And His own did not receive Him. Judas betrayed Him. Peter denied Him. Thomas doubted Him. All forsook Him. And He died alone on the cross. But because, but because He did this, but because He bore all those sins and pains and inflictions and betrayals and all of those things, because He bore that upon the cross, He understands us, He knows us, He conquers these things, and He is able to bring you through what you go through with joy. It's only with Christ. It's only with Christ that we can do that. It is humanly impossible. So that is our... I spent a little longer on our, my first point. That first contrast between Christians. There are some Christians who are Christian and there are other Christians who are not too Christian. And this will always be a part of our lives and probably cause the deepest pain that we experience. Second contrast is what's at stake. And I would, I would put under that A and B, what is tolerable and what is intolerable? <laughs> what's at stake? Because he says these, these people are motivated by selfish ambition. Others are motivated by love. And Paul seems to, he doesn't dismiss it, but he, he says, what does it matter? What does it matter? Christ is preached, I will rejoice. So it doesn't seem that he gets really worked up about this. I think there are some things that Paul really gets worked up about. And there are other things that he doesn't. And the same with Christ. One of the things I'm really going to enjoy about uh, this book that we go through in our small groups, Love Walked Among Us, is that we're going to see the things that bothered Christ are usually not the things that bother us. And the things that really bother us don't seem to bother Christ. The most convicting part about reading through that book, Love Walked Among Us, is how little I really look like Christ. You think, well, I'm a Christian, but how little I really live the way He lived. I think you're really going to enjoy this study. But there are some things. You remember when Jesus was in the, in the temple throwing tables? Okay. I mean, He, he is throwing tables. And there are other times where he is, is calling the Pharisees everything in the book. 
And there are other times it's like he, he doesn't sit in judgment. What is that? So I think there are things that matter more than others. For Paul, here he said, there are people inflicting pain upon me by, by preaching in such a way, making me look bad and desiring to hurt me. And he says, but what does it matter? When he writes to the church in Galatia, he says to them, uh, and, I'll, and I'll read this to you from chapter 1, verse 7. He says, evidently there are some people, okay, some people again, who are throwing you into confu- confusion and trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So in other words, they have taken the message of the gospel, which is the good news of salvation and eternal life, the message that we preach, and they have twisted this gospel and they have twisted it into a works-based salvation, not grace-based. And so how does Paul respond to that? He doesn't say, what does it matter? He says, let them be under God's curse. It is the strongest language he could use, I would say, without swearing. (laughs) It is the strongest possible language that Paul can use to describe what he thinks about those people. Because the doctrines of Christianity, if we, if we, we take those away, we have no faith. We have no Christianity. We have no eternal life. So there is a difference, the contrast of what is at stake. But here, it's what he's enduring. It's a motive of someone else. There's a third contrast, and the contrast is what drives you. Because I think that, uh, or motives, we say, what is your motive? You've heard the expression before, don't judge motives. Well, it's hard to judge motives. You don't, you don't always know what makes someone tick. But Paul said most of these people are motivated and driven by love, which the way it, it's the way it should be. This is the way it should be. When you do something out of love, Okay, that's the motive. What's it going to look like? Well, Galatians 5 says it'll be love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what it looks like. When you have a good motive, then that's what it looks like. When you have a selfish motive, we call rather than the fruit of the Spirit, the works of the flesh, the contrast is that these evidences when you could say, I'm, I'm over here, I'm one of these guys, and I'm saying, you know what, I'm preaching the gospel, I'm, I'm uh, leading people to Christ, I'm starting Sunday school classes, I'm, I'm feeding the poor, I'm doing all of these Christian things, but my motive is self-promotion. And you know what, i got the smile on my face, got the Bible under my arm, but eventually what's going to come out is going to be the evidence of what drives you. And Paul describes that too in Galatians 5 where he says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. And the truth is all of those sins we find among Christians. Christians can commit sins that unbelievers do. Because the master of your life is, is the person you yield to. If, if, I, if I yield completely to the Lord to obey Him, I'm His servant. 
When I yield to the base natures of my flesh, my selfish ambition, I will follow that path to destruction. I've been to a number of graduations for high schoolers and uh, spoken at them. And someone will always say, young people, just follow your heart. (laughs) And I think, man, that's going to be a... By the end of the day, you're going to be done. If you you really do that, if you just walked out of church today and just go did everything I want to do, you'd self-destruct. Because your nature is against God. So we contrast the motive. The fourth contrast, I just have two more here, is the impact, the cause and effect. Whenever you think about, have you ever met someone who's just mean and hateful and slanderous and unkind and hurtful and it betrays you as a friend? They're too, have you ever met someone like that? Now, it's a, lot, it's a lot easier for me to think about those people and point to them than it is to look in the mirror and identify those very same things in myself. Here's my challenge to you. In the church, in Christianity, in the Christian world, you're going to find a lot of these types of people who are selfishly motivated and carnal and mean and unkind and destructive. And that is a reality. But those same tendencies are in my own heart. You know, it's really easy for me to point out a hypocrite. Pharisees? I'll show you where Pharisees are. It's so easy for me to sit in judgment. It's so easy for me to be critical of other Christians. But it's hard for me to see the beam in my own eye. Does that make sense? And the very things that bug me about people The reason they probably bug me so much is because they're the very things that I struggle with. So Paul is working through all of this. Both of these things. The the selfish ambition in chapter 2 and verse 3, I think this is a, a tremendous, tremendous verse. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking... To your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. Now, what that verse is saying is, it's pretty much the golden rule. I need to learn to value you more than I value myself. I need to learn to love you more than I love myself. Now, who in here is like that? Who in here is really like that? Because I tell you, for me, I'm the center of my universe. And you are the center of your universe. And you wake up in the morning and everything is revolving around self. And I, and I think, guys, we as men are more like that than the women. And don't say amen, women. But you know, you know what I mean. We get up and I think how everything affects me. How everything affects me. How every, but have I, have I been hurtful to someone else? Have I been unkind? Have I been selfishly motivated? Have I caused some other person in chains and and struggling in their Christian life to become even more discouraged by by how I respond in judgment? You know, when I I see some Christian crash and burn, my flesh will, will tend to say, well, you know, the reason that happened was, I'll tell you what, if you would have done this, this, and this, and if you just would have done this, this, and this, 
And I think the, the older I get, the longer I live, it's like Will Rogers said, never miss a good opportunity to shut up. Because I can always tell you why you crashed and burned and why you did this, because, because by nature I am proud. I am selfishly ambitious. I am critical. And while we can be very good at identifying these kinds of people, like Paul has identified, we need to watch those things in our very own hearts. My last point, the contrast in choice. Because at the very end of, of this section, that he comes to verse, verses 18 and 19 of chapter 1, and he just says this, but what does it matter? Okay, what does it matter? Paul's in chains. We already talked about what was happening because of the chains last week. Okay, the whole palace guard is hearing. The gospel is advancing. I mean, amazing things are happening. Okay, we already know that even in these chains, God's doing amazing things. Okay, so he says, and, and you got people on the outside who by all of their successful, wonderful ministry is, is just hurting Paul. And it's discouraging to Paul. And here's what he says. What does it matter? What does it matter? You know, I can take that. Christ is preached. Christ is preached. And I will rejoice. Now, this isn't how he feels. I want you to see this. This is not how he feels. This is what he chooses to do. Can I tell you how he feels? I'll tell you how I felt going from 2008 to 2013, I felt like standing up on a chair and screaming. And I want to tell everyone the truth. That's how I felt. So you think, I, this is how I feel. I want to tell the whole world the truth. I, and the second thing I want to do is I want justice. I want all those people that have done wrong to everyone to know it. I want you to know the truth. I want people judged. And I want myself and my friends vindicated for what we've done and blessed by God. That's how I feel. By the way, it's okay to tell God how you feel. He knows anyway. All right? So don't try and say, well, okay, God. No, that's how I feel. I'm frustrated. I get angry. I question God. I go through all of those emotions. And, and when you are attacked by Christians and people who are your family and your friends and loved ones and, and they betray you and hurt you and slander you, this is what you're going to feel like doing. Screaming to the top of your lungs, getting justice, vindication, and blessing. But what does Paul do? And this is where... God, by His grace, and it's only by His grace, gives you the ability to make a choice. And I believe this is not an easy thing for Paul because he, said, he says it twice. He says at the very end of verse 18, And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. And in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. It's almost like he's doing self-talk. Are you with me? It's not. He would rather. He would rather. He's human. 
stand up and settle it all. But he, he says, I will rejoice. Yes, I will say it again. I will rejoice. And praise God, in this last contrast, there are two choices. I can live the way I feel, which, which you know where that's going to take you? That's going to take you into the deepest pit. It will, there will be no pit deeper than the pit of self-pity and respond in the flesh. Or I can, by faith, by faith and by grace, say as Paul did, Lord, this is hard. It's really hard. But I will rejoice. So I'm not saying if, it's when, and it's probably happened to you this week, the most painful experiences of your life are going to be with people, and most likely Christian people. What will be your response? So the takeaway that we have is this, simply, yes, I will rejoice even with these people. Yes, I will. How? By seeing God as He is. Look. Look at your sovereign God, your good God, your gracious God, your omnipotent God, your promising God, your eternal God. I'm going to look at Him, and I'm going to believe in what He says. I will trust You, Lord, and I will obey. And those are acts of the will. Those are acts of the will. There are choices you make. I will trust you. I will obey you. And I will thank you and rejoice. I will do that. Can I tell you my personal experience through my small... I can't... And by the way, when I tell you my own personal story the last few years, I can't even compare to what Paul went through or what Christ went through. But it's, it's real for me. So that's why I share it. It's real. And you have your story. And you have your pain. And you're going to have it again. And I think you come back to this. You get a right view of God. You believe what He says. You anchor yourself in that truth. You pour out your heart. You know what? I, it's like when Job poured out his complaint. I say, Lord, i got to tell you how I feel. i just got, I got to tell you how I feel. I'm so mad. I'm so upset. I'm mad at you. I'm mad at everybody else. Lord, help me. Help me. I will rejoice. I will continue to rejoice. And it's only because He gives me the capacity and the ability to do that as a Christian. And that is what makes Christianity so beautiful to the world. Because they look at that and they'll say, how does that happen? It's by His grace. Let's bow together as we pray. Father, you know our pain and our struggle, our disillusionment, our frustration, the times we get upset with you, with people, our agony, Lord, all of the injustices. Lord, we hurt. And so it's hard to be joyful. But help us, as Paul did, work through this to understand a right view of a great God who's always working for good and for His glory. Help us to believe. Help us to obey. Help us to choose to thank You. And say it again, thank You. And to praise Your name. Wherever you are, in your life this morning. 
God's there. He understands and He feels your pain. Would you take some time before we're dismissed this morning to quietly call upon Him? And it's okay to say everything you feel. It's okay. Just blurt it out. It's good. And ask for His help. Ask for His grace with these people. It would tend to rob you of your joy. And you know something? God will delight to answer that prayer. So let's take a little time to talk to the Lord about where you are right now and ask for His help and ask for His grace.